Living La Vida in Porto, a podcast about life, culture, and entertainment in our favorite town, brought to you by Studio Hub City. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the podcast Living La Vida in Porto. As usual, it's the it's the magic duo here. It's me, Sergio, and, and Rodrigo. How are you, Rodrigo? Hey, Sergio, all good. So as, as we said in the last episode with uh, when we interviewed Dan, uh, Porto is not, ju- is not just a hot destination for Erasmus and visiting students, but it's also sought after by students who want to do their full course here. Uh, so our guest today, he didn't decide just to do the master in, uh, in Porto, but he ended up staying in Porto uh, after finishing his studies. So today on the show, we have Imari from North Carolina in the, in the US. He came to Lisbon in 2015 as an apprentice and to do an apprenticeship for a football team and they decided to go further into the subject and uh, came to Porto in 2018 to the faculty of sports and doing a master in high performance training uh, and he has been here since. Uh, hello Imari, how are you? Um, I'm fine, Sergio Rodrigo, thank you very much for having me, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, thank you for being with us. I mean, uh, everything I said was correct, right? It was pretty much correct. You, you... Yes, um, just in 2015, I, I originally came to do a six-week um, volunteer work with this okay. organization called ISEC, um, which you can imagine is like um, Erasmus, but for people that need internship or work, and they work all over the globe. So previously, I did a year in India with ISEC. After I was done, I always wanted to come to Portugal, and... Um, I was, I got the travel bucks. I didn't really want to go back to the United States. An opportunity came up to come to Lisbon to work in um, a secondary school, an elementary school, and teach the kids about healthy eating and physical exercise. And first day in Lisbon, I was like, I do not want to leave. So you were sold. You, you. <laughs> I was sold. I was sold. Um, so I did everything I could to try to find opportunities to stay. Obviously, my background is uh, football. I did the old school thing, printed off my resume, walked to many clubs, just handed to them. And luckily, uh, maybe a month later, the nice guys at the uh, FC Porto Dragon Force in Lisboa, they gave me an opportunity to intern. So I did that for another six months and then I left and came back. Hey, how, how come, uh, how come uh, an American got, fell in love with the, with the soccer? <laughs> uh, um, it's a really good question, but um, it's it's different nowadays. But when I was younger, all my friends they didn't play soccer, so right. I always chose friend over sports. But in 2005, I came to Italy with 39 other North Carolinians. We spent um, about a month in Italy, Austria, Switzerland, and France. Got to Italy and I saw everyone just crazy about um, football. I saw them playing it on the beaches. I saw the shirts in the shops. I was like, I want this. I went back home. <laughs> that bug got me and I haven't looked back since. What is your favorite team in Italy? Italy's Inter Milan. All right. I fell in love mm-hmm. with the shirts and Adriano, the, the Inter. Okay. We, so we, don't really like, we don't really like Inter Milan in this podcast, but it's okay. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but you said but your favorite year, team is Manchester United, right? You yeah, told us before. The world is Manchester United. Um, sorry, behind Porto. Both those teams are behind Porto. Of course, <laughs> <laughs> of, course, of, course of course. 
so it was the first time you came to Portugal in 2015. 2015, correct. Okay. Well, how come how come you had this passion for Portugal? This is another thing. Um, perhaps not so much these days, but especially from the south where I come from, the United States. Mm -hmm. Portugal is not like Italy nor Spain or even France or Germany. It's quite niche, you know. The yeah. northeast of the United States, that's completely different. There are many Portuguese, but in the south, not so many. So when I originally um, started following Manchester United, you had... At that time, 2005, 2004, Mourinho came to Chelsea, Ronaldo came to the English Premier League. So that was something kind of exotic. But before then, I had heard about Portugal, but I didn't know much about it. When you have a really, really good player playing for your favorite team, then you want to discover more about the culture. And in the United States, I think just about everywhere, everyone is taught Spanish. And I had it for so many years that when I got to college, I placed them into a very, very high Spanish class, and I didn't want to do that. So I took Portuguese instead, but I always wanted to learn and take the Portuguese from Portugal. But in the South, it's not like that. We have more connections with Brazil. So Brazil. I had an opportunity to do my, um, not called Erasmus for us, but it was Erasmus in Brazil for a year. And that's where I improved on the language. But I always wanted to come to Portugal, and I finally made that happen in 2015. And your your connection to Porto started with the, with Dragon Force, like the, the the kids team from Porto, right? Yeah, um, and that's the thing because Lisbon was the first city I lived in, and I really loved that city because um, the part of town that I lived in, a place called Andros, which was yeah. it was and is like a mini Asia town, and I had just come from India. And just walking through the streets, smelling masala, eating momos, it really was lovely. So I um, wanted to stay in Lisbon originally, and I tried to apply to the school there. But my coordinator, the guy who was the coordinator at the time in Lisbon, he graduated from Porto. And I did the research, and actually the faculty for what I wanted to do is actually better in Porto. I never thought I had a chance to get into it. And the irony is I got into Porto, but not Lisbon. So... My mind was made up. I came to Porto. Oh, how great! So, how easy or was it to adapt to the life in Porto? Well, I think it was quite easy because I had already lived in Portugal before. I think it would have been different in 2018 if this was my first time in Portugal. That being said, I have traveled quite a while, so I think. Adapting is not necessarily something harder. I think the hardest thing when I first came to Portugal in 2015 was relearning Portuguese because I had learned Portuguese from Brazil and it was completely different from Portuguese from Portugal. And so that would that took some time, but 2018, it felt like putting on comfortable slippers is perfect. Okay. But like, do you have, you have this happening to you? Like, so, because this happens a lot. For to foreigners in Portugal, I think when you try to speak Portuguese and they and they understand that you're not Portuguese, they switch to to English to make you comfortable. But still, yeah. you're like, no, I want I want to try to learn your yeah. language, right? <laughs> True. It, I mean, it's really quite impressive because it's not like Portuguese is a Germanic language; it's a Latin language. Yet the Portuguese speak it so well. So. Um, I say that to everyone that I, I meet. I think in terms of people that speak Latin languages um, uh, as their first language, the Portuguese are very impressive when it comes to English. So um, 
that 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 does help for people that don't speak Portuguese. But like you said, the someone that speaks it, you don't want to speak English. You want to speak yeah, Portuguese. yeah. I, I saw that happen many times. It happened to me a lot as well. So I was like, come on, I'm trying to speak your language. Let me <laughs> let, let's have this conversation in Portuguese. <laughs> True. And so basically, you you, uh, you chose Porto because of the because you got uh, selected here at the at Fadeup. Uh, but w was it something that you wanted like? Porto was a uh, was a city that you actually wanted to move in. It's kind of it's it's interesting because when I was here in 2015, I took a two day trip with some friends and we came up to visit Porto. We must have stayed at the worst hostel ever because I had no idea that Porto had a beach. Like the woman just did not tell us anything besides Aliados and Ribera. So we went there and Palazzo de Cristal. That was it. So um, I was kind of thinking Porto was quite small. And then I came in 2018 and on my flight, we kept descending and I saw a beach and I was like, that can't be Porto. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, like, what is this place? I guess it's close to Porto, so it must be cool. Then you get here and you figure out, no, this is all Porto. And I was like, really, really happy. Originally, I wanted to stay in Lisbon because I do like big cities, but I say this to everyone that goes back and forth with uh, Lisbon, Porto. Porto is definitely the best place to study. It's, um, for example, the school I would have studied in Lisbon is in a place called the Cruz Quebrada, and it's yeah. on the way to Cascais. And the commute there one way is probably an hour and a half, and that's without traffic mm. or anything like that. Porto, I lived in a part of town called Marquês in Bonfim, and my school was uh, in Asprela near Hospital São João. Just get on the yellow line there, eight minutes, ten minutes. It's You're perfect. There. And and tell tell us more about your your degree. Like what what did you study specifically, and what what does does it consist? Okay, so the master's level at Fadel, there are um, maybe six or seven, and um, I took the sports training, and it's broken up into two parts: uh, children and youth, and high performance. And I after you break it up into those two branches, you can you have to specialize in the sport. So. In my class, we had people that were swim um, coaches, uh, track and field, as we would say in English, um, uh, basketball, handball is very popular, and obviously football. And there's some other sports I'm, I'm obviously forgetting. And, you know, the University of Porto, the Faculty of Sport, they have, uh, they're well-renowned for um, forming a lot of coaches and assistant coaches. That was part of the reason I wanted to come and study there. So I did that. For yeah, actually, years. actually, right now we have a lot of um, renowned coaches abroad. No, yes, Portuguese. Since Mourinho, I think there was a wave of Portuguese coaches that, like Villas Boas, and now we have uh, Paulo Fonseca and so many others in uh, all over the world. Yeah, right. and any of them was was in uh, uh, in your uh, faculty. Yeah, um, for example, um, Carlos Carvajal, the, oh, okay. the current uh, um, Braga coach. He was also coaching Besiktas in Turkey, Swansea in uh, Wales. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Victor Pereira, he was uh, coaching the Chinese uh, champions uh, two seasons yeah. ago. Um, and also, he coached Porto. He, he coached Porto, Porto also. Ago, yeah, yeah. yeah. And someone who's just uh, um, synonymous with the faculty is Victor Frad, um, with yeah. a, a specialization um, uh, 
tactical periodization. We made some refinements and stuff like that. So that was crazy. One day, just walking to faculty, and he doesn't teach classes there anymore, but to see him go up to the ATM and take out money, like uh, my colleagues and I are like, that's Victor Fraud. I'm like, wow, just awestruck. So stuff like that is <laughs> it's great. But so your studies and your job, is it more focused on the physical side? Are you uh, deal with uh, tactical and like motivational coaching and so on as well? No, I'm a coach, but there were a lot of um, my classmates that were, um, you could say, it's not athletic trainers, preparador physicals, physical preparators. Um, that was, uh, how could I say? That was interesting seeing how, how many there were because I was expecting more people to come for coaching, but they, I would say it was maybe two-thirds um, the physical preparators and a third of the coaches. There were a lot of people that did that. And a lot of those guys, they'll go on to do a PhD um, and, and, yeah, and specialize even further. But for the coaches, um, not so much. Masters, and then you, you look to try to get into coaching. So like like the one million dollar question, what what does it take to to be a great coach? Because I th I I see like for instance in Portugal, you you as you said you 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 arrived in Portugal around or at you in Europe 2004. We had Scolari. Mm. Uh, nobody uh, tells is is a great coach, but uh, a great coach, but is is an amazing motivational speaker. So he. Uh, I don't know if you if you knew, but he when he arrived to to Portugal, he he put everybody in the windows of uh, uh, the houses in Portugal with the flag. You heard of it, yeah. So uh, it was really something beautiful by the time, and then we all almost uh, uh, were almost champions. We we went to the finals. It was it was too too sad, but then you had Mourinho, like the the master of tactics, and and Guardiola also, of course. Which gender you you like more? Well, so I think you kind of answering your question a bit with the people you just named. It's not one thing. All of those three are different. Scolari, Guardiola, and Mourinho—they're all completely different people. Um, so I couldn't say there's one thing that makes an amazing coach. Um, it's part of the reason I wanted to travel so much because I know so many of my um, So many people I've worked with just in the U.S. that just have that uh, context that they haven't had the opportunity to work outside the U.S. And I think that's the biggest thing you can do for your career. Go someplace, even if it's just Mexico or Canada. But working outside your comfort zone is literally the best thing. I will say the hardest thing to do is to coach in a language that's not your native language. It's very, very, very hard. It's not like any other profession. Things are changing every second. And something you may think to say, the moment's already passed, and that's it's yeah, over. True. But yeah. if I were to choose one thing, um, you really have to be flexible because something that which brought you success. Uh, for example, I coached in Brazil, India, the U.S., and Portugal, and none oh. of those contexts were the same. So something which brought you success in one place may not work in a, another place. I think also like being in the right place at the right time, like. I, I remember that uh, the story of Village Boys. He was, uh, and then he was, he was uh, um, yeah, European. Yeah, he he, he was an uh, assistant to Bobby Robson. He, he, actually, he was his neighbor. That's how right. he, he got into the, being in the right place at the right time. 
<laughs> he went to assist Bobby Robson just because he was his neighbor and he, he talked to him. And then look where he, where he went now. Uh, it's, uh, it's also a question of luck sometimes. Yeah, yeah but I, I, I mean, as, as a football fan, what you said about adaptation, it's, it's very vital for coaches because you see many coaches, many, many trainers that they do amazing for a few years and then they they are they start have going going down like their performances the teams they coach and so on and you clearly see that they're not adapting to the new tactics to the new ways of of playing and uh uh so yeah it, it totally makes sense what you what you said and um, I, i mean that you've been coaching kids so far i mean um yeah, youngsters mm -hmm. uh right so what do you what do you get to learn from uh, from kids when you when you train them when you coach them so i've gone through a few phases i mean i think especially if you weren't a, a professional player previously you start at the bottom so i think my first group in the us were under nine boys and i was just happy to coach so that time i think it was 77 then i went through a phase where i was doing everything from like soccer tots like little kids up to 16 and 18 year old boys. But over the past three, four years, the age group I've specialized with most are 13 and 14 year old boys. And the thing I like about that age group in the US, and I believe here in Portugal, that's the first age they do 11 v 11. So it's the real game. It's no mm -hmm. 77, 9v9. So they need to adapt themselves to the space. A lot of them are starting to hit puberty. So working on their dexterity, how their bodies um, work and adapt in that space. So that's really, really interesting. Um, also, another rich thing about the U.S. is um, when it comes to coaching women's soccer, it's, it's just on another level. So in the U.S., I was able to coach yeah. some female teams, and that is really, 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 really fun. Because the thing about the U.S. in terms of sport, when – boys get to high school, they have so many choices. They have lacrosse, yeah. American football, baseball, basketball, soccer. But the girls, they don't have so much. So that's why they're able to stay with it. Best athletes, at um, males, they'll go to another sport and leave soccer behind, but the girls won't. So it's really, 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 really regimented. It's really great. But about what you said with the, with the 13, the, also I heard that it's like the year where they decide whether you have it or not to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, for instance, in my team sporting, they, they have the, the kids, the kids, and then, okay, they decided if they are good enough, they go to the Academia of Alcuchet. Yeah. So they decided with 13. So it's then, okay, it's the first big selection. It's, it's that. So it's, yeah. it was what, what you're saying that it's. What is, but, what is something, something specific about, uh, sports and coaching in in portugal something in, that you that you find specific here in uh, in portuguese football that you don't find in other countries i will start with my country um i mean i guess i could add india into this as well not brazil at all but it's real here um you do not see people getting upset in an under nines under tens football match in the united states it's just not going to happen in portugal you do so coaches players They learn pressure early. In the United States, it's not like that at all. And I would say 
Maybe it's like that in India with uh, perhaps cricket. I don't know enough about Indian cricket to say this, but I know from what I was doing with football, um, not so much. There's not as much pressure. Brazil, there's definitely pressure. Um, but Portugal, for me, the places I've been, it has a pretty good balance. Um, and it's always... I know that, uh, I know that uh, parents get crazy a bit, no? They always want his, his kid to be they always Ronaldo, think it, so yeah, they always think their kid is, is it, Ronaldo. <laughs> even even with the with the referees, no, it's like yeah. the it's the every game is a Champions League. And I think you see, I don't want to condone some of the behavior because some of it is just despicable, but the yeah, outcome with some of the players that are produced in this country, you see where it leads. And that that is important because they go back and forth with which age it really becomes about results. But usually around 16, it's not about necessarily having fun. It's about getting W's and wins. So that's how it goes. And can you tell like the so you, you have some years of experience. Can you tell them if, if a player has it or not or if, Do you get disappointed sometimes or you are right more often than you are wrong about the, the someone's quality? So I'll be completely honest. Um, I took a very uh, unorthodox path. So even I, I'm very dubious about saying at this certain age, this person doesn't have it or not. Because I'll give you an example, Didier Jogba, he by most um, numbers developed very, very late. And this guy won just about everything in England and the Champions League. Only thing I don't think he won was the World Cup. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when you look at it, just at numbers, yeah. And I understand where clubs and scouters, scouts are coming from because they're trying to see the global picture. But when it comes to the players I worked with, especially a 13-age group, I don't get too stressed about that. Um, I really don't. But obviously, there are some outliers that you know this kid's not going to stay with us long because he is too good. He will, someone else will take him. And then there's some cases where a kid's like maybe competitive soccer is or, or football is not what you need right now. You perhaps should do something else. In this case, I mean, you, you're uh, when when you're coaching kids, it's not just you know about the tactics and the training and so on. There is a there is a. Um, a level of kind of being an educator for them, I guess. Uh, what, do you, what do you try to give to them? What do you try to get them to, to learn about the game, about life? I don't know. It's funny because, you know, if anyone uh, listens to a podcast, they speak to or they are listening to someone who's speaking about sports, they say a lot of cliche things, but I have to repeat it. A lot of it is about the camaraderie. So that's the thing I love most about um, a team is just, Someone that is good at one aspect, another one's good at another aspect, trying to get them all to come together for the, for the goal that we're all looking after. So that's the number one thing for me, just finding a bunch of different jigsaw puzzles and trying to make the puzzle come together. With the youth kids, uh, of course, you don't have like a, an assistant. Uh, you, you do almost uh, all by yourself, no? Like, or you have some some assistance in in the field. It's not like you have uh, all the uh, like ten or or eleven guys in your staff to to do uh, coaching, physical preparation. Sometimes you have to do a lot of yourself, right? It's funny. I would say that's true just about everywhere but Portugal. So 
um, I was part of a big staff with the club I was interning with um, uh, a year ago. In the U.S., I did everything by myself. Um, India, I had one assistant. Brazil, I was the assistant. And in Portugal, I've always been the assistant. I haven't been the head coach yet. But in the U.S., I was the head coach doing it all. Um, that's another thing I love about coaching in Portugal. It's 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 just a huge process. They um, they even have a club psychi- um, psychologist that the kids can talk to, the medical Whoa. staff, and all that stuff. It's it's really great. That's that's a really interesting point because as I told you before, I'm I'm gonna start a course in uh, sports psychology next year at the same faculty. So. <laughs> I might, we might be working there's, together in the future. <laughs> there's a market. There's a market. <laughs> there is a market. That's good. There. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think yeah, it makes it makes total sense to have um, uh, from from a, such an early stage in in your career or uh, your life to have the support of these many people to, to develop in the. In, it might Spe- be a career. It might be just an, a life experience. But it's really important to have. Uh, the best sports. Yeah, I was thinking that I mean, we and before we were talking about Mourinho and and how he he, he was like one of the top coaches, and now he is, was fired like the last three or four times. I don't remember. And uh, and because I think one thing was how you 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 could train before with the with the with the players. Like there was no basically almost no social media, uh, and now. Uh, like football players are such big stars, and and even in, in these ages they they are already uh, uh, with with twelve thirteen they are already being uh, transferred by by huge amounts. So I, I would say that it's it's really it's it became more difficult to to coach now than 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 it was before for sure with the Instagram and all these distractions of that kids have. What, what do you think, Imari? I would agree, um, but there's also been advancements other places. I don't think the longevity of a player has ever been higher. I think uh, yeah. certain injuries in the past, if you had them, that's your career done. So that just goes with time. Um, yeah, but looking at Mourinho, to even <laughs> be around that long, to have gone to so many countries and to be successful in all of them is still quite impressive. So... Um, that's just part of it. And then when you think about it, you look at player, uh, people like Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex Ferguson that just stayed at one place for so long and able to just have success. It's, it's really, really, really fascinating. Um, I don't know which one is better. I think it depends on either person. If they are more um, itinerant and they want to travel, then maybe the way Mourinho's done it. If they like more stability, and being in a place and maybe the ways that the old school coaches do. Okay, so I guess the uh, the listeners that don't care about football really got bored so far. So I guess we we'll go <laughs> back to 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 some talking about uh, talking about the the city and port and so on. You you said your adaptation here was uh, was pretty easy as you've been here. Uh, so you you were in Portugal already, but uh, what what is something special about Porto that you like really like about it? Oh, I think we could spend as much time on that as we just did on football. Um, 
it's a really, really clean and safe city. That's uh, one thing, speaking of the city itself. Um, comparing Porto to Lisbon, I say this. In Lisbon, because it's uh, a little more cosmopolitan and the people there get a lot more people from all over the world, maybe it's easier to speak to them initially. But once you meet someone from Porto, after a few visits, they they make you feel like you're part of the family and they will invite you over to do everything. So I do love the homey aspect of Porto and that's nothing that I've experienced anywhere else. Um, everyone does know just about everyone. So it is, <laughs> it can be nice. <laughs> but if I get bored, I just take the 200 bus and I go to Castello do Queijo. If I want to be more adventurous, I'll rent a bicycle and go to Miramar. Um, and if that's not enough, you're 50 minutes away from Guimarães, Braga, Aveiro. And what about your favorite places in, in Porto? Like eat, uh, hang out, any, any special favorite places that you like, you want to share? So let's start with eating. I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian my whole life. So I do a lot of cooking. But even so, we are in Porto, so Francesinha is very important. <laughs> <laughs> when I first came here, I was a big fan of uh, Lado B, and I'm sorry, it's a great Francesinha, but now I'm totally Brazil. Brazil. Uh, yeah, okay. my favorite. So you'll my like... favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's when you you give the ex exception to to your to your. Uh, Veganism vegetarian diet yeah. or vegetarianism? They have vegetarian. Um, ah, okay. okay. So, yeah. Okay, it's good. Oh, I don't have meat to compare it to, so for me, yeah. It's good. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, that's that's great. Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, do I, by the way, why did you? Why did you decide to to become vegetarian? Didn't have much of a say in the matter. My father was a doctor, and he wanted my sister and I to be vegetarian. So um, okay, had fish for meat. After 31 years, it's actually something I'm proud of. So I I, I love yeah. it very much, and I, I am a health nut. So part of the reason I started. So it's, it, it, I imagine it's it's rather hard to to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. For, for <laughs> social life, social life. Here in, I, here in Portugal, I mean, lots, lots uh, of the, lots of food is based on fish. Especially or meat. for. Let me tell you this: if I was able to survive the south of Brazil, okay. I could survive anywhere. So. No. <laughs> that, that's meat, meat, yeah. meat all the time. Yes. I know, I know it. Okay. So uh, you you spend more time eating uh, at home. You prepare your own food rather yeah. than, than going out. I love to cook. It? But my favorite food is pizza, and Porto has a lot of good pizzerias, so I like to um, okay. compare every now and then. Um, they're also, you guys are saying it's hard, but it's not. There's some really great vegan and vegetarian restaurants in Porto. That, it's that true. Was, yeah. was very surprising, but yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, lovely too. Can't make my own pastel de nata, so you got to go out there and get those, you know. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I said, I think we can uh, we can advertise our friends' uh, pizza. Yeah, it's it's because you know. you worked in um, in Rio Ave in Villa do Conde, but in oh. uh, in Povo de Verzim we have a, a friend that that makes uh, pizza. It's really good. So if you want to go and our listeners as well, pizza d'artista. You have to go. Everyone. It's the best pizza. <laughs> the best pizza you'll ever have. 
Povo de Varzim. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's artista. Okay. It's artista. It's yeah. artista. <laughs> Done. It, and what, what about what about hangout places or uh, any or some monuments or something that you really uh, like in Porto? Um, it's funny. I met these two girls at the university um, during a performance, and they had uh, done the thing of coming to Porto to study Erasmus, and then they left, and they just loved to come back. So I met them after they had done their studies, and they are coming back for another visit. And they told me one of the best places you need to check out is Sao Hulk. So that is one of my favorite places. And I live in Bonfim, so it's not too far from me. But my favorite garden is Sel Havish, the museum. Uh, okay. That's my favorite place in the town. Um, but Foz is beautiful. So walking down by Avenida do Brasil, the, um, the promenade, yeah. that's lovely too. Um, I just discovered Virtudes. I've always been to the Miradouro, but I've never been inside the gardens until last week. So that was, that was cool. Um, and again, I like to make a trip out of it, but sometimes I'll take a bicycle and I'll go over to Gaia, getting over to Gaia and then to um, uh, where the uh, church is on the beach. It's really, really nice. Miramar, you mean Miramar, yep. right? So how, 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 how is your routine in... in... How was your routine in Porto? Uh, when I was studying? Like or... you. Uh, nowadays. Nowadays, um, I work in tourism. So that's what I do outside of uh, football. Um, currently, we are remote. I work in a hostel. Um, so in May, we're looking to come back uh, uh, presentially. So okay. that's would be eight hours there, spend quite a bit of time, done my dissertation now, but not so much, but before in the library. So I would spend a couple hours there, just um, reading articles, stuff like that. And I always make um, room for fun. Um, I like, Portugal has many, many sayings. So this was one I learned this week. Trabalho, trabalho, cognac, cognac. So- um, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, what is your dissertation about? It was actually what we just discussed. I was curious why so many Portuguese coaches worked outside of Portugal. So I wanted okay. to see the, um, how working outside of Portugal influenced the coaching philosophies of Portuguese trainers. So I looked at three individuals um, that spent not all in the same country, but the countries that they spent time were in Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, Spain, Egypt, um, England, and I think that France as well. Yeah, I think those were the seven countries that these three individuals spent time in. And I broke it down in terms of um, a few areas, leadership, how their leadership was influenced, their philosophy, obviously, coaching philosophy, um, cross-cultural management. Yeah. Um, what they would like to impact on future trainers and the migration process, how migrating and living abroad impacted them. So that's what I did. Cool. So that's any, any conclusions? <laughs> Not flexibility is quite important. And I was a little naive to this before I did the dissertation, but how important leadership was. I was expecting them to say, 
more things sports related, but leadership was probably the thing that they said was the most important because as one of the participants said, you can get someone who is not a very good leader and has cracks, just a team full of stars and they can't do anything. But someone who is an amazing leader with some average players, get them playing like a sympathy, um, um, a symphony. So yeah, that was um, that was probably the most important so thing. You you got to to have the one on one interviews with the, with the coaches. Yes. Great. Are, are yeah, they? Do, yeah. do we know them? Are they famous? Um, they have worked in the back room staff. Oh, okay. Very famous people. Um, yeah. Okay. That seems very. We, we want to read that uh, dissertation when it's. Uh, I yes. actually <laughs> wrote it. You can read it because it's. Ah, in the we can read it. Um, I wanted to challenge myself, and I just thought it would be too easy living in a country not to go all in. So I wrote it in English and Portuguese. So the Portuguese okay. version is uh, available at the Fadel Library, and I have an English version as well. But yeah. That's, oh, that's really interesting. So, like, uh, so you gave us hints about this already, but uh, why why do you think anyone should choose to study in Porto? And what would you suggest uh, to people who are coming to study and uh, get into this adventure? Simple as this: um, the university just does a really good job of looking after you, um, and all any because there are some people that haven't apprehensions of uh, what living abroad in another country may be like. And I think the university does a really good job of um, getting in, in contact with other people, or maybe if you need like a buddy, as the Erasmus program has, to just a local buddy that can tell you, oh, you want to go get your Metro card? I'll go with you. If you if you need a tax number, these sort of, um, sort of things. Then you look at the size of Porto and all the student events, they're really, really close. So everyone knows when they're going on and it's really, really fun. And then finally, I think this is probably what the university really wants to hear. It's a great university. Um, really proud to be an alum from the Faculty of Sport and University of Porto. And if you're not even coming to University of Porto, you have Catolica, you have um, Ismay, you have um, Luzolfina, there's many institutions here. So it's a plethora and lots of choices, but I really think the size of Porto helps the student life because there's so many people around to help. Okay. So, what, do you, what do you suggest them to do when, when I, coming here? Um, hmm. I would say, and this is what someone suggested to me, I would um, join Erasmus. I really would because okay. you may come from a country where Erasmus doesn't exist, but by studying in um, a Portuguese university, there's a local committee, you can um, become a member. And I would definitely do the events. Um, I'm not sure what the events are gonna look like next year, but when I started in 2018, there was like a Portuguese night when you learned about the Portuguese history, there were trips to Aveiro, to Braga, um, and even more simpler things like how to cook Portuguese cuisine. So I would definitely join Erasmus. That'd be my first thing to do. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to say this to someone who's shy, but I would try to get involved with um, meeting other people, just going out and about, because it's, it's really fun and it passes like that, so. 
explore, basically. Explore, enjoy explore, every you know. minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, you you got in touch with um, with our it was our previous guest uh, Ludmila, right? The president of the Erasmus Student Network. Yeah. I knew her before she was president and um, <laughs> it's crazy because you just said time passed. I met her in 2018, um, walked into the office. She and another Brazilian friend, um, they were uh, working there and her friend helped me out. And then I met a guy who would become Ludmilla's boyfriend and then we became close. <laughs> small, small family. <laughs> And now we meet you. Yeah. <laughs> well, what about the uh, projects for the, for the, for the future? You, like, you're you not any... you're not seen uh, in football right now, right? No, I hope to get back in the fall when more of the formação, the youth coaching, is okay. up and running. Uh, but currently, working in tourism, um, improving my Portuguese very important. Um, That's it. I'm doing more stuff outside of football until I can get back into football and okay. enjoying being in Portugal. Okay. But your plan is to stay in Port or Portugal, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do, do you play football also? Or? I do, but I'm a much better coach. Um, so I, <laughs> I prefer coaching anyway. A lot of people say the best part is playing, but if you were to offer me both, I would prefer coaching. I think way too much to be a good player anymore. So. <laughs> but, but by the way, uh, just just to to go back to the to the kids and and it's also it's always nice to to hear some funny stories, and you should have some uh, with with kids. There's all there's all, always something funny happening. Do you have any any? Nice story to, to tell I us. have some, but for a podcast audience, I'm not sure how many I can repeat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody um, says this. <laughs> <laughs> We can edit then. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. If, it's, if, if this isn't um, kosher, as we would say in English. Um, well, no, I can't tell that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I am impressed at how creative the minds of 13-year-old boys are. They, they say stuff that I don't even think I knew about when I was 13. So that, I think that's, okay. uh, that's, that's cool. Funny story, man, putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I will try to think of it. If you want to ask me another question, I'll try to think of a story, but... Um. Like, so now uh, let's let's do this this question like well, I, I always like to to ask like if you had the chance to have your uh, your dream job let's uh, what it would be I, I I can imagine but or at least you could you could change you could you could uh, choose like the team also everything I don't want to choose the team because this is just how it works in football. Certain yeah. teams, they're at a level for a certain period of time and then they're not as relevant. So for me, I just want to um, coach professionally. And I've been back through this in my head for considering that Mourinho was just left from Tottenham, which is better to stay at a place for 20 years or to go from country to country. And I'm, I'm still not sure what I want to do. Um, another reason I got into coaching, I'm not sure how much 
you guys follow college basketball, but the town I'm from in North Carolina is where the university, Duke University is. And down the road, we have North Carolina. North Carolina is where Michael Jordan played for. And the coach has been um, a guy that's been there since 1983, 84, 85, 86, Mike Krzyzewski. Mike Krzyzewski, yeah. I couldn't get the name in my head. (laughs) Coach K, we call him. And he's like Sir Alex Ferguson of not just college basketball, but basketball, because every time there's the Olympics, he's been the Olympic coach. I think Phil Jackson did it before him, but the mo- the last two, I'm certain, um, in London and in Kiel, he was the Olympic coach. So that it's coming from that place and going to those games and being supportive of Duke, that is always, that was the first person when I saw sports is an option. Um, and then, um, so Alex Ferguson is kind of like Coach K, but with um, football. So I'm, I don't know if I would like to say, because I love to travel and I get um, really... Um, you learn a lot. And that flexibility thing that you talked about, it's, it's, it's also some value, no? Yeah, but I do get wanderlust. So I do love to travel. So I don't know which one is better or which one I would prefer, but... Either one would make me happy. Someone like Mourinho that's gone to Spain, Italy, England, and has found success in those countries, or someone like Sir Alex has just gotten it in one club and has made that into an institution. One of those would be cool. Nice. So, it, but it has, it has to be coaching. That's the, we know that. That's your future. <laughs> <laughs> So now, I mean, I don't know if this came across, but Rodrigo and I are, are football football fans. We really like football. So we want a few quick questions for you to answer. Like, So what's your favorite coach then? Right Current now. Currently or of all time? Right now. Thomas Tuchel. Who? Thomas Tuchel, the coach of Chelsea. Ah, okay. Ah, okay. Chelsea. Okay. Yeah. Who's your favorite player then? Currently or of all time? Both. Go for both. Um, there was a time when I really liked the flair, wingers and flares, but I think just looking at everything he's done, especially since I've been following the game, I would say Philip Lam of all time. I love players. Okay. That are- very, very clever player. Very tactical yeah. player. Yeah. He, he played, played right, left. It was crazy, no? Whatever he... <laughs> Currently... Wow, it's a harder question because I go more towards the coaches than the players now. Um, I do love me a midfielder that can just spray the ball like um, um, De Bruyne of Manchester City. So Uh I do like him a lot. Um, But... um, You chose someone not that good there, right? De Bruyne is like... (laughs) Oh, you think he's... (laughs) He's probably the best player in the world right now. I don't know. Um, yeah. Perhaps. Uh, and who's the next big star in uh, in Portugal? I will. Well, he's not in Portugal right now, but I'd be interested to see João Felix play for a club that is more towards his needs. Yeah. More. Um, I agree. Yeah. Not so much a, re- yeah. a reactionary team, more proactive. So I would be interested to see how he progresses. But still playing in the country and the club that I. Love Conceição. This is interesting in seeing um, um, Sergio's the boy. The kid. The kid. He's, he's, he's really amazing. Yeah. 
As as I'm sporting Lisbon, I would say Nuno Mendes. Uh, I was left. going to say that. I saw the last international break and he yeah. was left for Portugal. I, no, he is really good. Really yeah, good. I, yeah, I like Nuno Mendes very much. So I, we can go for the, the last question that we always ask our guests. Two words to describe Porto. Whoa. <laughs> so the university asked us to describe the university in one word, and my word was cosmopolitan. Um, two words to describe Porto. Um, another cliche thing, but for me, it's home. So you're not the first one to tell us that, you know. No. Oh, <laughs> every every single one. guest at home. It's, 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 it's amazing. It's, really it's nice. unbelievable. It's amazing. <laughs> Okay, so if, if you have that story with the kids, you can tell us now. Um, I can tell it off air, and then you guys can decide if you'd like to... Um... No, to, to... Will, we're not going to add this. I will tell you off air, but I will tell you, but not the listeners, I'm afraid. Okay, okay, so we're, we're okay. going to keep this secret for us. So I guess, I, I mean, Imari, this was uh, such a pleasure for us. We're like, we're like fanboys. <laughs> You've given us all we time. wanted to stay, we wanted to stay here one more hour talking about football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But this was really a pleasure for us. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure to be invited. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you for Rodrigo for being, for being with me, with us to, uh, again. And um Thank you to our listeners. Thank our listeners that tuned in to this to this amazing episode that we really loved. And uh, don't forget to to follow us on social networks and uh, give us suggestions, topics, uh, comments, anything you want to say. Uh, see you next time.